The itsy bitsy spider crawled up the water spout. Out came the wand and snuffed the spider out. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for exterminators. Ah, yes. Avada Kedavra, the killing curse. And there's no counter curse. There's no blocking it. Only one known person has ever survived it. And he's sitting right in front of me. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And hi! Yo! Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, now and forever. This week, the chapters that we are reading are Mad-Eye Moody and The Unforgivable Curses. So those are both serious af. You will hear in this episode, cursing. Some pretty substantial spoilers, I think, this time around, because significantly more happens than last time, which is they had dinner. Things happen. You will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are dermatology, corporal punishment, horoscopes, lack of trigger warnings, and community organizers. Uh, what happened? In this week's chapters, classes get back underway at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The classes are pretty sick this year. Not like sick, that's awesome, but like literally disgusting. Uh, (laughs) Madam Sprout has them all squeezing like boils or some kind of lesion on boobo tubers to get the pus out of them to make acne medication. Hagrid is breeding the Xenomorphs from the Alien franchise. Blast and its Groots. So this would rank high on Kyle's That's So Predator. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Matrix. uh, (laughs) See two episodes ago. Draco is continuing to run his mouth. Uh, He gets into a confrontation with Harry and company over... He's goading Ron about an article in the Daily Prophet about his dad getting into the kerfuffle at Mad-Eye Moody's house. Rita Skeeter spells Arthur's name wrong. Actually, she doesn't spell the name wrong. She just calls him Arnold. She spells it Arnold. Uh, (laughs) She spells Arnold correctly. It's the wrong name. Draco says to Ron, your mama's so fat that she's fat. It's not really creative. He just says she's fat. Yeah. Harry's like, your mom looks like she's smelling shit all the time. Malfoy's- Which is this solid burn. Malfoy's like, don't you fucking dare talk about my mom. I don't know, double standard. Malfoy can dish it out. He super can't take it. Harry turns to go away. Malfoy attempts to curse Harry behind his back, but motherfucking Mad-Eye Moody steps in and is like, don't you ever try to curse someone behind their back. You're a ferret now, asshole. Uh, Draco gets the ferret treatment. He gets bounced around until McGonagall intervenes and tells Moody that transfiguration is not allowed as a punishment. The school is very much abuzz with Mad-Eye Moody talk. The older students who've already had Moody's defense... Oh, by Moody's the defense against the dark arts teacher now. Uh, so we're on numero four of those. Fred George and Lee Jordan, who've been in Moody's class, are like, dang, man, like, Moody is like, seen shit. Like, he's been in the real shit, you know? He knows. He knows, man. <laughs> uh, 
Which is actual <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what they're like. <laughs> Let me Jordan. He knows. He knows, man. man. <laughs> I like Lee Jordan. Lee like, Jordan's like fucking cool. They had all just gotten like high by the like one-eyed witch statue. And now they're like, dude, Moody knows. So everyone's like, yeah, Moody is like hard. The Gryffindors are super fucking psyched for their first lesson with Mad-Eye Moody. Moody is like, well, you're super caught up on monsters, but now I need to show you what wizards can do to each other. And he proceeds to demonstrate mind control, torture, and murder on some unfortunate spiders. The unforgivable curses. Use of any one will land you a lifetime sentence in Azkaban. So that would be the Imperious Curse controlling another person's body. I guess it's not really mind control. It's more like body control. I think you control their body and mind. The Cruciatus Curse, which is like wizard waterboarding, but like way worse. Or I guess we really shouldn't get into comparisons about like, I don't know. I don't know what any torture is like. Torture. I cannot possibly tell you what torture is worse. Torturous apples and torturous oranges. I don't know. Like, yes. Torture is bad. Baseline standard for the Quiddler, we're going to say. <laughs> yep. And Avada Kedavra, which is the killing curse. And there's only one person that survived it, Moody says, and he's sitting right in front of me. It's Harry Potter. Whoa, that is dramatic as fuck. Very mixed opinions on this lecture. Some of the students, Ron, are like, dang, that was sick. As in, like, sick, sick as fuck. Harry, Neville, and Hermione are horrified. Neville answered a question about the Cruciatus curse. Uh, that had some kind of effect on him, which we'll learn about later. And, of course, Harry was like, dang, now I know how my mom and dad literally died and ron's like wasn't that cool so some friend tension there moody attempts to comfort a very shaken neville by inviting him to tea so that sounds fun i guess no, no. neville's terrified he's like the last thing i want is to fucking sit here and watch this horrible face put tea in itself tea with the spider killer tea just like dripping yeah. into all of his like <laughs> scars, running out of like, like falls the out holes. the like ravines um, on his face disgusting and finally Hermione has been making headway on the house elf issue. She's been spending a lot of time in the library, and she's decided to start an activist cell, basically. The Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare, SPEW. She's got buttons, she's got membership fees, she's got a plan of action she's with long-term... She's got a fucking manifesto. Yeah, she's got a manifesto with long-term and short-term goals, and she wants Harry and Ron to join. Two sickles apiece... To pay for their leaflet campaign. To pay campaign. for their leaflet campaign. It's all going to operating costs. It's, it's all going to overhead at this point. It's all going know. to overhead. Yeah, so actually wouldn't get a great like Guide Star rating no. at this point. Might actually not be like a 501c3 eligible <laughs> organization at this point. So, and that's what happens in this week's chapters. I think I was a little more succinct than usual. Yeah, I just thought bit, that was really good. So, thanks. You gave me homework. I did, and you did it. <laughs> So let's talk about school. Every year we get this kind of entree back into Hogwarts with some humorous scenes of their classwork, the the broad comedy that J.K. Rowling does 
really well. We've got the what the fuck are the bubo tubers again? They're like they're like plants. They're that like sort have of a plant pus. The thing I like is that she describes like pu- popping the bubo tuber pus nodes as oddly satisfying. So she got way ahead of the like YouTube pimple popping yeah craze. the like instagram dermatology mm-hmm. like frenzy <laughs> which if you guys haven't looked up and that's something you're into like ladies and gentlemen go google watching people extract blackheads you will not be sorry you might or be you might you might be incredibly sorry. sorry yeah but no most people are in like it's a <laughs> crazy crazy huge segment of the population that all along pre-internet videos secretly loved to watch people pop pimples and now our secret is out in the open so jk predicted that she predicted basically all of our modern um conditions Pimple popping and pumpkin product craze you know? <laughs> so so far uh, she's two for two like all social media wise certainly all of like the 2010s. she also predicted phone ha- hacking we talked about that that's too. true yeah she just knows her shit so what i like about the bubo tubers is i like that they are acne medication because it's just like another one of these signals that she's sharing kind of like Harry's like semi not sexy but his sort of like longing dream about Cho it's another signal that this is like not a kid's book anymore these characters are very much adolescents like their concerns have really changed the way they think about things um, is changing so I think talking about pimples in the first lesson is a really good just like tone shift Mm, yeah where she's just kind of like forget the harry potter you knew like now this is teen potter we're not making pineapples dance anymore kids it's all about skincare yeah dermatology from here on out the little line about the girl that like cursed her pimples off and like now like her nose is gone Made me think about like fucking Accutane and like all this like truly fucked up stuff that what, we used what, to do. What's Accutane for the uninitiated? Who Is doesn't know what, what, do you guys know what Accutane is? You must. Well, okay. So it's like some, it's like a really hardcore ac- acne medication. With like a comically long list of side effects. Well, it's so bad. You probably don't know this as a boy, a man, but Accutane is so intense that even as like a teenage girl, like I considered going on it when I was like 13 because I had terrible pimples and it causes such horrifying birth defects that they make like young teenagers take pregnancy tests regularly when they're on Accutane, which A, it's just so fucking body shaming. That's way worse than like cursing your nose off because Madame Pomfrey can put that shit back on. So if the wizards wanted to lend us boobo tuber pus, like we're, I would be yeah, fine we're with here that. For it, man. They should just patent a few of these Seriously medicines. This is how you fucking inject capital into your economy. Yeah. Uh sell th- sell them under like a muggle pseudonym. Right. And Or just like low key, like enter the pharmaceuticals industry in the muggle world mm-hmm. and you'd make a fucking killing. And Those guys are so rich. Your dollars for galleons. Yeah. Yeah, uh, guys, we solved Snape your problems. could be a billionaire. Snape, like, goes on to, like, be the CEO of Pfizer. <laughs> Snape is like, honestly, fuck this wizard shit. I just want to run, like, big pharma. And it's all magical. And then, like, in his retirement, he's just a lobbyist. So you'd never have to worry about generics. You wouldn't. Um, because they wouldn't know how to make it because they're not. Except if you had, then, a rival wizard go and buy 
I don't know what another drug company is called. And Dobby could be in all the weird antidepressant commercials because he oh, kind of looks like a creature Dobby. from. You know what I mean, though? Like. Oh, I was gonna <laughs> say they would probably test their medicines on Dobby. Oh no! Yeah, I mean, that's more accurate. <laughs> um, anyway, wow. so Boobo Tubers, Wizard Pharma. Yeah. I did not anticipate this episode going there. All right, so what do we make of Hagrid's newest beasts? Only just hatched, said Hagrid proudly. So you'll be able to raise them yourselves. Thought we'd make a bit of a project of it. And why would we want to raise them, said a cold voice. The Slytherins had arrived. The speaker was Draco Malfoy. Crabbe and Goyle were chuckling appreciatively at his words. Hagrid looked stumped at the question. I mean, what do they do? asked Malfoy. What is the point of them? Hagrid opened his mouth, apparently thinking hard. There was a few seconds pause. Then he said roughly, That's next lesson, Malfoy. You're just feeding them today. Now, you'll want to try them on a few different things. I've never had them before. Not sure what they'll go for. I got ant eggs and frog livers and a bit of grass snake. Just try them out with a bit of each. First pus, and now this, muttered Seamus. God, you got it. You hate Malfoy, but like, Malfoy is calling it like he sees it when it comes to Hagrid. He's like, why would we want to keep these fuckers alive? <laughs> he was an, an asshole about the hippogriff, but we start to see our first doubts among the Golden Trio about Hagrid because they. Oh, no, instinct- they've had doubts before. No, okay, not doubt, not first doubts, but like. <sighs> What am I trying to say? They instinctively jumped to Hagrid's defense, but then they're like, mm, Malfoy sort of has a point here. Yeah, the, these they things can, are foul. They can sting and bite. And, and burn you. And burn you. They really, I mean. It's a trifecta. They're the xenomorphs, man, from Alien. With You've like already the acid, made that joke I know, but like six times. No, but they're like the perfect fucking killing machines with yeah. like the acid blood you can't shoot them well i don't they're know not killing machines because they don't kill yet anyone. we don't know they're, no, they're like just they're like, little right now they're like as massively unpleasant as you can possibly be as a creature they don't seem <laughs> deadly they just seem fucking foul well i really like that hermione this is something i really relate to because hermione's like well lots of unpleasant creatures actually have like really positive qualities that wizards use and ron like makes fun of her he's like oh but maybe like whatever you can use their stingers as a medicine and she's like i just fucking said that i don't think that's true i'm just good at debating (laughs) which i like really related to because like yeah it's she was just like that was just like for argument's sake i don't think that's real ron (laughs) ronald just playing idiot blast and scroots advocate Blast Blast ended ended Scrooge's advocate. Blast ended advocate. So we also get Trelawney. Yes, who I neglected to mention in the recap. I mean, basically what happens is they go to Professor Trelawney's class. And it sucks. Well, here's my thing. This is a place where, ba-ba-ba, Heather calls stuff sexist. Is that Um, the theme song for this segment now? I don't know, but Heather Heather calls stuff sexist. This is the new segment. No, we've had this segment lots of times. Trelawney is not a worse teacher than Hagrid. Trelawney is a 
better teacher than Hagrid. She has a more substantial pedagogy at very least. She has a fucking curriculum, not a box of monsters. That's true. Hagrid is just like, here's some animals. Like, he doesn't even have a fucking plan for taking care of the box of monsters. He's like, throw lettuce at them until they either die or kill you. (laughs) And like, the way Ron and Harry and Hermione talk about Trelawney versus the way they talk about Hagrid, who, I will repeat, is a significantly worse teacher, is just fucking sexist. I've got two Neptunes here, said Harry after a while, frowning down at his piece of parchment. That can't be right, can it? Ah, said Ron, imitating Professor Trelawney's mystical whisper. When two Neptunes appear in the sky, it is a sure sign that a midget in glasses is being born, Harry. Seamus and Dean, who were working nearby, sniggered loudly though not loudly enough to mask the excited squeals from Lavender Brown. Oh, Professor, look. I think I've got an unaspected planet. Oh, which one's that, Professor? It is Uranus, my dear, said Professor Trelawney, peering down at the chart. Can I have a look at Uranus, too, Lavender? said Ron. It's because Trelawney is this, like, hyper-feminized, incredibly sort of, like, misty emotional like driven by sort of like the universe she has all these bangles there a lot there's a lot of emphasis on her jewelry and the teacups like she's fond of the pink ones and the like the perfume perfume. and the like kind of the dainty little poofs that they all sit on it's this very like hyper feminized atmosphere and and it's treated with derision and her two favorite students her protégés lavender brown and pavardi patil are kind of more like coded very well they're the girly girls Mm -hmm. and like they're passing notes uh lavender gets busted in by professor moody for showing pavardi under the table her astronomy her her, star chart horoscope chart so that's the other thing is like right there so they're studying astrology they're studying the the patterns of the moon and stars and how they influence people's personalities and moods and destinies which is fucking horoscopes right which are encoded in our cultural understanding as feminine and silly and like they're just they're dumb they're not dumber than anything else in these fucking books well forens right forens the they, centaurs take it very seriously and later on forens comes and become and like is the he replaces trelawney and all the guys like trust forens when he tells them about mars and meanwhile they think trelawney is like a bat like, it's just, it's just because her approach is, like, hyper-feminine. Rowling has a problem with this because, I mean, we'll get to it later on, but, like, Dolores Umbridge is another really good idea of, like, hyper-femininity as sort of, like, distrust or, like, untrustworthy and villainous. Hermione is sort of, like, set up as, like, I don't know, I just, like, get along with guys better. Like, I've just, like, never had a lot of girlfriends. And, like, I love Hermione, but that is an annoying thing to me about her is, like, Hermione is, like, kind of automatically mistrustful of more feminine or like more kind of like sociologically societally encoded girly girls mm-hmm. like she thinks lavender and Pavardi are stupid we have no evidence that they're stupid no they think that their teacher is good which is a totally fucking normal thing and yeah it is normal and yeah it's a subject that's offered at hogwarts right it's not like they're like 
you know, just like cutting these things out of the newspaper and like telling each other that they're real. Like they go to an academic class sanctioned by their school and they think that it's interesting and cool and that makes them like idiots. You guys think Hagrid is good. That guy fucking sucks as a teacher. He's a wonderful person. He's a (laughs) dismal professor. They don't super think he's a good teacher. Well, they defend him. That's true. And then they think it's really lame when Pavardi and Lavender defend Professor Trelawney. I just like, there's nothing inherently stupider about divination than any of these other subjects. It really bugs me how Trelawney is kind of portrayed. And even later on, like when McGonagall has to, who's like this much more kind of like masculine, like no nonsense, like lean in kind of a lady is the one who has to sort of like defend like poor quivering butterfly Professor Trelawney against like the mean lady. Like, she just has some weird femininity stuff. We talked about it a little bit with Molly Weasley. I don't know. And she's a woman writing about women. So, like, it's more complicated than this, obviously. But I don't love the Professor Trelawney depiction. And I think that Harry and Ron are are sexist in their derision of the subject. Well, Rita Skeeter, who we'll get into, is another good example. Sort of the gossipy and Her, like, poison pen. She's Mm -hmm. got, like, really good lipstick. And she's always very, like... Her, they, there's like a lot of attention paid to her dress and her appearance and like the gossip columnist which yeah. is again like gossip as encoded she's supposed a, to be like the Carrie Bradshaw of the wizarding world no she's not there. no she's not no she's more like the page six editor like Carrie Bradshaw specifically writes about sex don't make Carrie Bradshaw references my love you don't know what that show is about I was just trying to think of a famous gossip columnist but she's not a gossip columnist uh, I guess you're right she's a sex columnist right Sorry, I'm, I was thinking of Penelope Clearwater. <laughs> Penelope Clearwater is... Will be cu- later in life becomes the sex columnist for the... Or she's like Samantha Jones. We'll okay. just uh, ask We're, this segment. No, we will keep it because I want people to know how little you know about Sex in the City, which is fine. <laughs> it's fine, but it's not your strong suit, pop culture-wise. You did say a lot of things about aliens, so that's fine. You have your niche, and I'm I have mine. just trying to up this podcast on the predator scale (laughs) that's fair you know yeah no rita skeeter is another really good example of the like travestied femininity trope so yeah and there's a lot of that in all of these books there is a lot of that and um hermione is rewarded for her sort of having no truck with girliness yeah she sort of like dips in when she needs to She's kind well, of called, she's called upon to explain the motivations of other female characters which their own Which is age. just fucking emotional labor. Right. Because like Ron and Harry well, are too thick to ever figure it out. I guess we'll get to this when we talk about the ball, but I'll just like kind of put it out there. She also has this like fucking classic like Freddie Prince Jr. rom-com thing where she's the beautiful girl who doesn't know she's beautiful. She like fucking puts her hair in like a French twist and all of a sudden like people realize that she's a girl. Which is just like this really lame trope I mean, of I think like this kind of literature. I foresee a whole episode dedicated to the ball. Oh, the so, ball! The ball yeah. has some gender shit. But um, anyway, that's what I think about Trelawney. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about Moody and the ferret, and what we think about the character of Mad Eye Moody as we currently experience him. I only say that because it's not actually Mad Eye Moody. But. Right. Um, should we just get that off the table, like right now? Yeah. Like, on so, the table, as it were. What's the right? I don't know what the right table metaphor is here. <laughs> okay. But, uh, like, yeah. Let's get this out there. 
in case you didn't know or had forgotten, uh, Mad-Eye Moody is in fact Barty Crouch Jr., who is a Death Eater, um, disguised as Moody via Polyjuice Potion. We don't need to get into all the fucking machinations of who that is, but suffice it to say, Mad-Eye Moody is the bad guy hiding by pretending to be the real Mad-Eye Moody. Right. Malfoy, whose pale eyes were still watering with pain and humiliation, looked malevolently up at Moody and muttered something in which the words, My father, were distinguishable. Oh, yeah, said Moody, quietly, limping forward a few steps, the dull clunk of his wooden leg echoing around the hall. Well, I know your father of old, boy. You tell him... Mood is keeping a close eye on his son. You tell him that from me. Now, your head of house'll be Snape, will it? Yes, said Malfoy resentfully. Another old friend, growled Moody. I've been looking forward to a chat with old Snape. Come on, you. And he seized Malfoy's upper arm and marched him off toward the dungeons. So what do we think of that? It's interesting. We have a similar issue... With Sirius. With Sirius in Prisoner of Azkaban. There's, like, forward-looking Moody and then, like, looking back on it, Moody. Right. So we have, like, two Moody's. And I remember the first time I encountered this character, I loved Moody. He was one of my favorite characters in the book. You know, he's mysterious. Like Lee Jordan says, he knows, man. I love the craggy wizard who's like every inch of him is like scarred from having these insane battles. Uh, he's like badass. Well, and he's meant to be. Like he's he's set up really explicitly to be like one of the best characters in the series. Right. Um, and we'll get into whether or not the reveal is like what we think about that later. But... I mean, you love Moody when he comes and turns Draco into a ferret, but Barty Moody, his motivations for, like, ferreting Draco are, like, actually a lot more interesting. It is, it's the same problem, but it's also kind of the same opportunity as Sirius, because what's fun about this character is, like, reading this story sort of just, like, straight, say you don't know what the plot reveal ends up being, what you get until the very end is just this like incredibly exciting, interesting new character. And that's like a gratifying experience in and of itself. But then after the reveal, which again, like we can wait on talking about what we think about that. Both of us have complicated thoughts about it, but it does make it like richer to then go back, like look backwards and like you see the motivations through this whole new lens. It's the same way like when you were thinking about Sirius, like why did he like, go to Ron's bed instead of Harry's. It's because the rat was in there. It's like there's, you have those same kind of moments where you get to be like, oh my God, wow, like I get it. That's super interesting. It, it's pretty brilliant authorial choice in a way. Well, because you do, you because get this it, like... It, add, it makes them infinitely rereadable. And you get this really interesting like kind of two-faced thing where reading Moody as just being moody like okay here's an example that I really like in this chapter he turns Draco into ferret it's hilarious it's fucking dangerous no but even real moody shouldn't have done that like or wouldn't have it's not like safe or good yeah he could have really hurt Draco thank god professor McGonagall like exists but so then you get this moment where he he's like 
I know who your father is. Like, believe me, like, your father and I have, like, talked before. And then he learns that Snape is head of house. And he's like, oh, I'm really eager to talk to him, too. So in this Moody is just Moody version, you get that he has this, like, really deep-seated, old-school enmity for these Death Eaters that he encountered in his previous life as an Auror. But then you get to do this really interesting thing where you think about Barty Crouch Moody hates those same characters but for the opposite reasons and for much more interesting reasons. Because Barty Crouch hates people like Snape and Lucius Malfoy because they are unfaithful servants of Lord Voldemort. So they are like former Death Eaters who have either reformed or at least convinced the wider world that they've reformed and they've like basically like renounced their master. So his hatred of them is probably deeper. Real Moody just feels like a certain amount of like contempt. Real Moody's like deranged though too. Interestingly, it's almost the perfect wizard for Barty Crouch Jr. to replace. Right, because, because their because derangement is like on the same track. Like bo- it's the same train tracks. Yeah, he's this weird, he's this photo negative of the real Mad Eye exactly. Moody. And they, they're both extremists. They are. But to completely opposite ends. But they have, there's this weird Venn. But they have all these like common enemies, yeah, right? Yeah, there's this Venn diagram. Of, of their enemies. And where, Moody is like irrationally furious about this, these Death Eaters that managed to convince people that they were reformed. And Barty is irrationally furious about these Death Eaters that have forsaken their like choice to follow their master so it's the same group of people that are their like mortal like soul deep enemies he's like the perfect vehicle for Barty also because just Barty doesn't have to like rein in anything like he can be a fucking lunatic in Mad-Eye Moody's like body and people are like oh yeah no Mad-Eye's just fucking weird like if he says something bizarre or like does something incredibly like outsized like turning a kid into a ferret nobody's like are you sure we hired the right guy because like that was a weird move everyone's like god this fucking guy we gotta like talk to him about not turning children into animals and then trying to kill those animals (laughs) also uh a listener pointed this out way back during the buckbeak episodes but buckbeak loved to chomp on ferrets oh that's such a good point so a little bit of poetic justice so yeah That kind of like leads us into talking about the like meat and bones and grizzle and everything of these chapters. Which is the unforgivable curses. Which is the unforgivable curses. This is one of my favorite bits of world building in the books. It's a really pivotal chapter because this is the book that JK really starts killing people. So we get into the mechanics of... How that works in Wizards. Yeah, of how that, that works. You know, we've gotten... A little taste of it with Harry seeing the visions of the green light in his kind of Dementor dreams, but uh, but now now we know about Avada Kedavra. I like this idea that there are uh, just the name of it is so evocative, uh, unforgivable curse. There are things you can say that can't be unsaid. It's just so like foul that. You're put away forever, which I guess, you know, we have like analogs to that. Well, but. what I think is interesting is that we kind of don't. A thing that I think is interesting about these curses is that it does 
like it sets up a really interesting kind of window into J.K. Rowling's like ethics and like kind of moral universe because I just think they say a lot about what she believes about the world. Right. Well, it's, it's it's interesting that Moody doesn't say here's the three unforgivable curses and Vada Kedavra is definitely the worst. Like definitely one. the worst one. They're all three unforgivable. Well, and when he performs them on the spiders, Vada Kedavra is the least upsetting one. Yes. Like it's the most. It's the most intense moment, partly because we live in this world through Harry's eyes. So I think it's really interesting that one of them, so torture Cruciatus, that's really interesting. That basically says that like causing this level of pain is just as bad as ending someone's life because you are functionally rendering them unable to live in the world, which we learn is in fact the case with Neville's parents that you like torture them into insanity. But what I think is most interesting is that Imperius is also one. The stealing of agency. Right. The taking away of someone's ability to make their own decisions and act on their own volition, which is something that like we muggles like actually don't treat as that bad. You know, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but we don't actually give much of a shit about consent in our criminal justice system. We're like only now even kind of starting to talk about it. Yeah, we have all these really fraught conversations around issues like, and this is like spinning it way beyond Harry Potter, but date rape, uh, yeah, consent. Well, or just like not even in a in a like a sex crimes way, but like we are much more, and maybe in positive and negative ways, like we have a much more nuanced understanding of whether it's possible to like make someone act against their will. Right. And like how much a person should be able to like push back on that. I mean, it makes me, it almost like makes me think of things like false confessions too. Like Mm -hmm. this idea that I was just listening to, um, shout out my favorite murder. I was just listening to their episode on the Central Park Five and how, Basically, like, those confessions were forced by police officers. And yet still to this day, people are like, those kids confessed. So, like, that must mean something. So we don't have an understanding of, like, if you are made to do something by whatever means, like, against your will and against your self-interest without a lot of control, not only are you not responsible for that thing, but the person who did that thing to you is, like, you know, not a person who can be in civilized society anymore. So we just like don't have that. And I don't know, maybe that's like taking it really far because there's obviously like, there's a lot of other shit going on in that particular case. But there is this like, we just have a much different understanding of like whether it is morally wrong, whether it is forgivable to like force someone to act against their will. That's super not unforgivable in Muggle society. I mean, we try to prevent it from happening with, you know, you have a constitutional right against self-incrimination and... Yeah, but even that, like, we've had that constitutional right for a long time and the Miranda rights are really recent. So even that is not something that we really, like... But I think the difference is also, like, wizards say, like, not only do we understand that, like, you the person cannot be held culpable like for your actions under the imperious curse but the person who performs the imperious curse has done an unforgivable thing to another human being which is take away their agency in the world i just think that's a really interesting yeah. like morality speaking of language another thing that's really good about the language here is the existence of the words avada kedavra 
I love that it's this play on abracadabra, like a muggle overheard this somewhere and turned it into this sort of whimsical yeah. magic phrase I for do like think his it's, act. It's one of the most elegant moments, and she does this a lot, but this is one of the most like compelling ones where she takes like this kind of like surface level real world understanding of like magic and magicians and like pulling a rabbit out of a hat like the tropes and turns it into this like and she makes it so sinister which is like so cool like turning like abracadabra alakazam into like the worst thing that wizards can say changing that b to the v like makes all the difference of abracadabra yeah like consonants of it it does it has this like really different really sinister sound as opposed to kind of like a party magician sound. So I also think, I had never noticed this before. Um, but, you know, we're rereading these for like the 10th time. So that's what we're here for. Talking of the Mad-Eye Moody, Barty Crouch situation. I actually think that there is some signaling, some foreshadowing in this scene. That Moody couldn't possibly be Moody. And some people might really disagree with me on this, but... It's just something I was thinking about on this reading. Moody says, like, you know, if all of you in this room at the same time pointed your wand at me and said, Avada Kedavra, like, you wouldn't give me so much as a nosebleed. So he says really specifically, like, there has to be intention behind saying these curses, like, committing these crimes. And then with no trouble whatsoever, he does all three curses. Without, like, breaking without, a sweat. With, without blinking an I, eye. I mean, you gotta have, like, malice in your heart. Yeah, you have to have something deeply evil within you. And I really wonder if Mad-Eye Moody would have been capable of that in that moment. Because he's crazy, but he's not someone who would take lightly the performing of any of these spells. Because he's seen the other end of it. Like, Mad-Eye's whole life has been dedicated to, like, righting the wrongs that these curses, like, have wrought. Right. So I think when when Barty Crouch as Mad-Eye is able to just fucking Avada Kedavra that spider just like boom. I feel like that says to you like this is a person who has no qualms with evil. And for the first time I was like that can't be a good guy. So I think like if you think hard about that scene you can see some flickering of what's to come. So why do you think this is a pretty effective lesson regardless of its like ethics. Uh-huh. Why do you think Barty is doing such a bang up job education wise? I think it's specifically to torment Harry and Neville. I think it's a show just for them. He calls out Harry at the very first. He makes a big show of talking to Neville afterward. I think he's just a truly sadistic person. Oh, and uh this is pertinent. Barty Crouch was sent to Azkaban for torturing Neville's parents into okay. insanity. Actually, let's talk about this. Because in that context, this is maybe the worst thing that happens in, like, this book. Well, except for the very end. This right. is one of the worst, like, in-school scenes in this book. Like, if you read it knowing that that's Barty Crouch, it is fucking devastating to have Neville in that moment trusting this person to, like show him this like kind of true and like scary but ultimately like freeing understanding 
of what happened to his parents. Yeah, it's a fucked up relationship. And then Barty is like, come have tea with me so we can like calm down and like we'll talk about it. And it's like, that guy fucking did it. He knows what happened to Harry and like he is psyched about it, but he didn't kill Harry's parents. It's interesting. It shows his, it shows his insanity, but also it's this interesting chance for Barty to kind of cosplay the role of good. I think that's a really good point. You know, he can kind of see it from the other side and, like, experience it, dip into it. He can actually be kind of nice to Neville. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't think it's because he feels guilty. No, I think it's because he's, like, I think it's because he's, like, a fucking crazy person and he's just, like, occupying that space in a way that's, like, really deranged. It it seems to me that he's, like, simultaneously, like, fascinated but doing this kind of parody of a good guy. He also gets to do this thing where that, like, you know, the perpetrators of great horrors don't do, which is, like, spend time with his victims and, like, figure out what he actually did. You know what I mean? It's this, like, really fucked up way that he can, like, gather intel About, like, the effectiveness of his evil. Right. It's a year-long revisiting the scene of the crime. It is, which is this, like, classic trope. Like, people go back to where they did horrible things because they, like, are inexorably drawn to, like, learning more about the outcomes. It's like fucking, it's like arsonists who want to watch the house burn down. So in that way, this really, I used to have a lot of trouble with this plot element. But the more I'm reading, especially this chapter, the, and the more I think about it, the more it kind of rings true. Yeah, it's um, it's true. I'm like changing my mind like on the spot. Not changing yeah. my mind. I still think that like, I mean, one of the things that's a problem about it is that like, it's only available on rereading. Right. Which, you know, I don't know what I think about that. I think that that's like. It's at very least really brazen of an author to yeah. like assume <laughs> You're gonna that, read you her have, so that she has times. written something so <laughs> good that you will read it enough times to like get these like subtexts. Or like also writers do shit for themselves. Like she made something crazy and interesting and like convoluted partly like just for herself. Right. But she did make the assumption that we would all be reading them like well into like the 22nd century and she's probably right uh, i kind of love that actually. i do too i think that's really like it's like true baller i have one more theory about this lecture because barty keeps saying barty slash moody keeps saying you've got to know constant vigilance mm-hmm. yeah uh one he, he's teasing them you yeah. know he's showing harry like a preview well, he's also, yeah, he's tormenting them because he's like, y'all cannot watch closely enough, motherfuckers. Yeah. But also, I think in a way, he wants to see if Voldemort is up to scratch. What do you mean? He's preparing Harry to yeah, battle he's making, Lord Voldemort. He is. He's making Harry like a true, I don't think it's that he wants to see that he's up to scratch. I think that he wants to give his master a truly worthwhile adversary. I right. think it's a gift to Voldemort. Because, like, Voldemort even says, like, it's boring to, like, kill just, like, fucking, like, to kill muggles and stuff. Like, Voldemort is into the fight. And that's why he trusts, that's why Voldemort trusts Barty above all others. Because Barty, in that sense, is one of the few of his minions that, like, really get him. Yeah, he, like, knows what Voldemort's about. Like, he has this really profound, like, mind meld understanding of what Voldemort actually wants in the world. Which is to, like conquer a worthy foe right that's why Voldemort is so into Dumbledore like he doesn't want you know what I mean like 
he's afraid of him, but he also is like, I don't want to shoot a fucking, like, deer. Like, bring me a goddamn lion. Worthy, I want to hunt a lion. Worthy fucking adversary. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. Ooh, yeah, this is a fucked up scene. That was heavy. Well, it's so, so <laughs> good, though. Well, so, like, just a really quick thing is, like, it rings so true, but it makes me so, like, squeamish how the kids that aren't Harry and Neville and Hermione, first of all, like, Hermione just, like, deep, profound wells of empathy. Because Hermione doesn't have personal experience with any of these things, and she's the only other person in the class that is, like, not okay. Yeah, she Just want to say, guys, like, this is not okay. She has the moral imagination to Well, she's the only one that notices that Neville is, like, trembling. Yeah. She's just like, we have to make this stop. This is not okay. So, but the rest of the fucking class is like, dang, dude. Ron even is like, when that spider just died. And Harry's like, uh, yeah, that wasn't great for me. And Ron's like, oh, sorry, mate. Like, shut the fuck up, Ron. We're getting peak meathead Ron in this book. Ron has, like, he gets there eventually. But this, this is true, like, adolescent Ron. He just has, like... He has no compassion. Oh, hey, rewind. Ron sexually harasses Lavender Brown oh in God. in Professor Trelawney's class. Yeah. Which is kind Can of I another s- which is kind of another like aspect of that, you know, that whole discussion yeah. of, you know, disrespecting women. Right. And like female interest. He says, "Can I see Uranus Lavender?" which like Ew! Yeah, when I was like doing the dishes listening to that part again on on audiobook, I was like, "Whoa, that that's like a nasty joke. I was like, that's kind That's of- like a fucking fat bottom cauldron joke. I know. But like less kind spirited. Also, it's funny that then he and Lavender do, he sees her Uranus. Maybe. No. We don't know. Actually, that would be horrible. They, they just make, they out, make a out a lot. Um, but he does date her. So another thing I was thinking that's funny about Moody with all the kids being like, whoa, that was so cool. Like, wicked. That was crazy. He reminds me of a dare officer that comes in and is describing <laughs> to your like classroom and is describing all the crazy shit that drugs can do and inadvertently gets everybody super psyched about drugs. Yes, uh, that's such a good analogy. And I, I'm thinking about this because there was this news clip this week that our esteemed attorney general, Jeff Sessions, is feeling super nostalgic for dare which if you're not like an american of a certain age it was this program uh drug abuse resistance education and training where a police officer would come in to the class i think like once a week for like six weeks or something like that ours was a police officer Uh, it was police officers in like the city like a lot of people will talk about like their dare officer i guess maybe we had an officer i don't really remember and they'd come in and be like this is what drugs are kid yeah don't do bad for you so did you have a dare officer in particular? Well, there was another program, Great, which was gang resistance education and training, which was the same thing, but gangs. And our dare officer was like super friendly and kind of like, I'm just like... Just like of, Smokey the Bear, yeah, but for like, drugs. Yeah, like Toothy Grin. Uh, right. And he kind of looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. <laughs> our great officer, well, for one thing, he was missing a finger because it had been like ripped off from chasing a perp. Like, in a, like, police chase. Jesus. Uh, he jumped a fence and his wedding ring got caught in one of the chain links and it, like, degloved him. Oh, my or God. Something, like, or, it, like, ripped the finger off. Anyway, he was like, I've seen some real shit, kids. Like, 
this is what wizards can do to each other. (laughs) And I don't remember any of the gang resistance talk, but he was just like, let me tell you what happens to your body on angel dust. I've seen like junkies shrug off bullets and then lift a car. And everyone was like, oh my God, that's We should all do speed. That's so cool. (laughs) That gives you superpowers. (laughs) I just remember him like sharing these like grizzled war stories. Oh, yeah. That's so true. It is the thing where we had, um, ours was actually much scarier, but we had like a Jaws of Death demonstration. I think it was about drunk driving because it might have been texting and driving, but I actually can't remember if texting and driving was like all the way a thing when I was in high school. But yeah, they like showed like a really bad car accident and like getting someone, I guess it's the Jaws of Life. Did I say the Jaws of Death? I forget. I think it's the, jaw, the, the Jaws, it's jaws of, life. of Life. Yeah, that like saves you from like a crazy jaws of death fucked up. Car is the shark? Yeah, Jaws of Death is just like a crocodile. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought I just saw like really vividly like the Captain Hook crocodile. Anyway, so we had like that whole demonstration, and it was like really, really terrifying. But yeah, like kind of titillating. Right. Like right. you kind of want to watch it, and I feel like. That's the weird thing about motivational speakers in general or the, like, people who use this strategy, like Barty Crouch slash Mad-Eye here is Who are just like, things are so bad out there and kids are like, yeah, yeah, so cool, (laughs) fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, everybody's like psyched. Like, we had, we had another motivational speaker come in who was like, I think he may have been like an ex-prisoner or something like that, and the whole... Was it Sirius Black? No, that'd be awesome, though. But basically? Yeah, he's like, (laughs) here's what you should never do, kids. Learn how to become animals. (laughs) And they're like, wait, that's a thing? That's a thing we can do. Now, we had this guy, and he was like, let me tell you, kids, drugs is something you never want to do. And he proceeded to just tell, like, hilarious drug stories about buying weed from the ice cream truck man and... (laughs) One time he, like, dropped acid with his friends in a pool, and he thought he had, like, webbed feet, and everybody's, like, busting up laughing, and then, like, he'd get real serious and be like, yeah, those were, like, my bad days. And, and if kids anybody- are like, that sounds baller. <laughs> I want to do all of that. And now you have a lucrative career out of it, man. I don't know. Uh, so- or we had Selena's bodyguard came and talked to us what? once. What? Yeah. Not you the- have never told me this. Not the bodyguard who was there when I... It was a really, yeah, we had, it was in eighth grade, one of Selena's former bodyguards came and talked to the whole school, like, in the gymnasium. Alex, and we are married to each other, you didn't and know this that- is your best story, <laughs> Yeah, he was like, never heard this. He was like, let me tell you, kids, I've been in violent situations, so this is why you never want to be in one, and then he just told stories about, like, uh, bouncing, basically. But he was Selena's bodyguard? Mm-hmm. And then he went through with like a highly technical list of reasons why Selena's security detail had like fucked up allowing her to get killed. This and it is was like, incredible Yeah, news. it was crazy. <laughs> but I, I don't know. The weird thing was... Yeah, always. It didn't really seem to have a point. Well, and always these people come in like trying to like scare you straight and you end up just being like, fuck yeah, I want to be a bodyguard. Like, that sounds baller. Mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. Kids want mayhem. Kids want mayhem. So Moody comes in and he's like dark arts resistance education, like the just the fucking mad I Moody, the dare <laughs> officer. Oh, that's very good. So <laughs> speaking of Ron and Hermione dynamics... We get Spew. Ugh, God bless Spew. Our short-term aims, 
said Hermione, speaking even more loudly than Ron, and acting as though she hadn't heard a word, are to secure house elves fair wages and working conditions. Our long-term aims include changing the law about non-wand use and trying to get an elf into the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, because they're shockingly underrepresented. And how do we do all this? Harry asked. We start by recruiting members, said Hermione happily. I thought two sickles to join. That buys a badge, and the proceeds can fund our leaflet campaign. Your treasurer, Ron, I've got you a collecting tin upstairs, and Harry, your secretary, so you might want to write down everything I'm saying now as a record of our first meeting. So, um... She doesn't like if you call it SPEW, S-P-E-W. S-P-E-W, the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare. So... You're in the nonprofit world. I'm wondering what you think about her action plan. Well, is this an effective strategy that I she's mean, outlined? She's got she's got like a working theory of change. She's got short term and long term goals. She's done copious research, which like only Hermione would know to actually like look up the history of like elfish oppression in order to like really ground herself in an understanding of this like systemic problem that's a thing that like a lot of white folks who are like I'm gonna like help people of color like they don't do the research so like fucking mad props to Hermione for actually trying to learn something about this oppression before she tries to like solve it yeah she's not writing in and being like we're gonna we're just gonna like pull them up by their bootstraps. Like she tries to understand the like roots. Of... We're gonna give every homeless person a GoPro. Exactly, which was actually a thing that was pitched. I can't. At, uh, I past. actually can't engage yeah. in that. That's too <laughs> stupid. That is a real thing that happened. But to yeah. understand their like lives, oh my I feel God. like it was in a TED talk or something. Jesus I think like in an Christ. off-brand TED talk, like one of those uh... kind of like knowledge like talks. a TEDx yeah I, I don't remember I'll well, find the link anyway so yeah no don't find the link nobody wants to actually see that nobody that's just fucking stupid that. that's so dumb so yeah no Hermione like she does a bunch of research which like is what she does best but I also think is like a really admirable choice another thing that I like is that she doesn't give a shit that people think it's stupid she doesn't bat an eyelash a single time throughout this book when people are like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard She's like, okay, I mean, that says more about you than it says about me. So, that's, like, bye. That's true, like, radical imagination. That is true radical imagination. She is never, like, brought down by, like, society or by, like, her, not society, but by her sort of peer group, like, refusing to acknowledge the oppression that she, like, knows is there. Right, yeah. You're imagining a radical, a radically different future. Everyone's like, this is ridiculous. I mean, when, she's, like, a know, true a lot, radical. A lot of the progress we've made like would have seemed ridiculous uh i'm thinking about like even 15 years ago like gay marriage being widespread uh, yeah no it's hard it would have been hard to imagine there's like a long way to go on a lot of those fronts but yeah well so hermione is like bravely going where like few wizards have even attempted to go yeah which i think is like really bold I mean, her aims are interesting because they're, rather than being emancipation, they're like sort of like wages and like working conditions, which the more, I had some interesting conversations on Twitter this week with people that made me think like, oh God, well now that we've set this up as like a slavery analog, this like sounds less good, but like I think wages and working conditions are like, that's a better aim for house elves because they, they do, that they do seem to be like, 
housekeepers. Like, they do seem to be a race of little cleaner elves. Yeah. And they just shouldn't, it shouldn't come with, like, enslavement. Her more interesting idea is putting a house elf in the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, because then a fucking house elf can just say what they want. Yeah. And then you've returned some agency. Exactly. Hashtag know? representation matters. Like, we don't... And she uses the word representation. Yeah. Which is also, like, pretty... She's like... Pretty far-seeing. Yeah. Uh, because... Like appalling lack of representation, yeah. and you're like, dang. These are the conversations we're having right now. Yeah. So the thing that, that makes it ineffective is just that, like, really, truly, like... Wizarding society is not ready, you know? And this is a moment that's, like, I know that Harry, like, has a lot going on, but I think this is a moment of real weakness in Harry's character because, like, we don't expect Ron to be on board. Ron's an idiot. I think Ron's an idiot is probably the sentence I've said most as a host of the Quibbler. (laughs) Other than maybe I love Hermione. But anyway, Ron is an idiot. But Harry, A, like, Harry has this really, He's the only one that has any kind of, like, a relationship with a house elf. Like, he and Dobby, like, they go way back. They had, like, some shit. And he freed a house elf, and he experienced the sort of, like, you know, lame, like, wizard savior. But, like, still the rush of having done that for another creature. And he still, like, can't get on board with this shit. So... I expected better of Harry. I expected a a wider moral imagination of Harry. Dobby did try to kill Harry. Yeah, but Harry gets that it's because Dobby... Inadvertently. Well, also because Dobby had no access to, like, remotely normal means of trying to help Harry. (laughs) Dobby's enslavement was such that, like, the only thing he could do... Didn't try to kill. Almost killed. And he also... And he has, like, his imagination is one of violence because the only thing he's ever been shown is violence. So I just thought Harry would be a little more on board. And I'm a little annoyed that he's just like, Hermione, come on. And she's like, you fucking free Dobby. Like, you know what I'm talking about. It takes Harry a while. It does. Well, because, you know, he's also new to this world, too, in a similar way to Hermione. But he takes the kind of opposite end where he's sort of trying to integrate. Right. He wants to blend in. As swiftly as possible. And if that means... Well, and, like, honestly, like, as as, like, an abused... Like, as a, as a victim of abuse, like, that makes sense. Yeah. I get that he just, like, wants to, like, kind of keep his head down and, like, not make a lot of waves. Also, to be fair to Harry, he can't not make waves. Like, he's walking through the world, like, constantly under scrutiny. So I understand, like, not wanting to bring more attention to himself. Yeah. And I think it's probably more about that, more about the embarrassment than it actually, like, believing in the cause. And Ron just thinks, like, that it's stupid. Right. And he's got a, Harry's got a lot on his plate. Yeah, he's got a lot going on. So, I mean, Godspeed, Hermione. It's going to be hard. It's a hard row we hoe, but um, I'm very proud of her. Who's your unsung hero? Mine is Professor Sprout for just constantly repeating the words boobotuber pus. <laughs> boobotuber pus. Boobotuber pus, as uh, our hero, Jim Dale, says. Yeah. Uh, has a great Professor Sprout voice, but uh, sounds good to say. Feels good to pop. Uh, <laughs> she's like, she's such a practical teacher, too. She's just like out here. She's like, let's make medicine today. <laughs> let's do something useful. Um, mine is Neville, which I know the unsung heroes are usually fairly lighthearted. But like, we got to we got to sit here and just like give some really deep thought to the beautiful, flourishing soul that is Neville Longbottom. Because his life has been really sad and he is 
a valiant and beautiful hero and god bless him and he raises his hand he does he's really brave in that moment he's really really brave you can also tell that neville is like getting to a point where he wants to talk about like who he is right like he that's him sort of making this overture of like I'm almost ready to like reveal this thing about myself. And you can tell that Hermione can like sense it. She's like, no, there's like something. But Neville is just like, he's just one of the good ones. He's really growing into himself and I'm very proud of him and I wish him the best. My idiot of the (laughs) week, my unsung idiot, is fucking Sirius Black. We didn't really talk about this, but like, Harry gets this fucking letter from Sirius and he's like, oh, your scar is hurting? That's a problem. I'm coming back. And it's like, what the fuck are you going to do, man? Like, your dumb hero complex has, like, ruined everything so many times already. Fucking stay with the macaws. (laughs) Let someone else handle it. You are going to mess things up more. And he just stresses Harry out. All he's doing is making Harry feel scared. Because Harry's like, fuck, I'm going to get... Now I'm going to get serious caught. shipped off to ask Kevin. Like, it's so sad when Harry is like, oh, if he goes back, it'll be my fault. It's like, fuck no. Sirius is an idiot. He's of no use. Like, he's going to come and what? Like, keep an eye out for Karkarov and then tell Harry about Karkarov and then just be useless. Like, he's useless. <laughs> he is fucking useless. He should send a message. Like, send an anonymous tip to, like, somebody who can actually do something. Like, fucking alert like Kingsley Shacklebolt or some shit (laughs) just be like get someone competent and not a fugitive to maybe look into this yeah good fucking serious okay that's it that's all I have this week's episode is brought to you by Boobo Tuba Puss Boobo Tuba Puss that's it that's That's it that's all you got uh (laughs) May cause side effects, but not birth effects. Yep. So, that um, we know of. Well, that we know of. The audiobook clips that you heard are, including the expert rendition of the words Boobo Tuber Pus, are Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. You guys know most of the social stuff at Quibble Podcast everywhere that you might want to find us, except Snapchat because we're not 11. Um, and we don't know how that shit works. Yep. Please rate and review and subscribe to this podcast. Leave us five stars if you feel so inclined. If you don't feel so inclined, fucking don't do anything because rude. You can leave us a review on Facebook or iTunes. Yes. Turns out you can leave reviews on Facebook. Yeah. We have some nice ones. You guys are lovely. Thanks for those guys. While you're at it, you should also sign up for our newsletter, which is at tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. So yeah, that's that's all the places that we live. You'll notice last week we did a mailbag episode, so we definitely read our mail. Please send us some. Send us an owl if you want. Again, if that ever happens, like, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done on this earth. That's the best thing that will happen. Next week, we are reading Bobaton, Durmstrang, and The Goblet of Fire. So we'll talk to you then. Thanks, amigos. His preoccupation lasted all the way across the sodden vegetable patch until they arrived in Greenhouse 3. But here, he was distracted by Professor Sprout, showing the class the ugliest plants Harry had ever seen. 
Boobotubas. Boop, 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 Boobotubas. You will collect the pus. The what? Pus, Finnegan, pus. Boobotuba pus. Disgusting, but ugly satisfying. Boobotuba pus. They need squeezing. Boop, 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 boobotuba pus. Ugly satisfying. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more boobotuba pus. This'll keep Madame Pomfrey happy.